For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Listening to the Testudo Times Podcast, the official podcast of SB Nation's Maryland Terrapins Colossus. And welcome to episode number 14 of the Testudo Times Podcast, where Hurricane Joaquin is only the second most famous Joaquin ever to grace the planet Earth. I'm joined by two people today. First of all, one of your new co-editors who is no longer being bound by the shackles of stupid standardized testing, Alex Kirshner. How are you, Alex? Hey, Matt. How are you? I'm doing great. Who do you think is the most famous Joaquin to ever grace the Earth? Uh, you know, that's really hard. I don't know. I have a friend named Joaquin from summer camp when I was little. Um, let's see. Well, there's some, there's some Joaquins out there. I don't know. It's a tough one. I'll think on it. Think on it. Uh, we'll hopefully, you'll have an answer by the end of the show. Uh, Noah Niederhofer, who was supposed to be on our football preview show but was driving around Washington, D.C. and sounded like he was being arrested, so you never heard that recording, is joining us now for his podcast debut. Noah, who do you think is the most famous Joaquin to ever grace the earth? Joaquin Phoenix, probably my go-to. Very good. You got the correct answer. Congratulations. Yeah, I don't yeah. know if you heard the clapping on no, that. That's one. right. That's definitely right. The second most famous, besides Hurricane Joaquin, would have been Joaquin Andujar, but uh, a baseball, a friend of mine who proclaims he likes baseball had no idea who Joaquin Andujar was, which made me a little bit sad. <laughs> so Hurricane Joaquin actually played around with a lot of Maryland sports, actually. Soccer moved from 7.30 to 2, and Maryland football moved from 8 to noon on Saturday. You all were clearly aware of that, although it saved this endless slaughter from making most of us wait throughout the day instead, so we just got it over with and could get on with our lives. Although it did run up with uh, the LSATs, which I found particularly funny, though it spared you from a bit of bad football, didn't it, Alex? It did, but I did get there for the second half, so I saw the, uh, the lion's share. Uh, well, you saw a lot of bad football. It was actually, it was entertainingly bad in the first half, but before we do most of the talking, I want to say, first of all, whew, Boy, oh boy. I, I was not surprised that it was basically a Michigan home game, especially since Maryland fans, particularly Maryland students, are afraid of rain. But <laughs> was it? I mean, you got there in the second half when Maryland fans, students had basically left. Are you surprised it was as yellow and blue, maize and blue, as it ended up becoming? Uh, not quite, no, because Michigan is a huge university that has a massive alumni presence in the Washington area. And uh, given the trajectories of the two teams lately, I think it made a lot of sense that uh, there would be quite a bit of, of yellow in the crowd, uh, or maze, as they technically say. Um, so it didn't surprise me, but I do think that Maryland, um, at, at least you know the crowd that was there at the beginning of the game was loud, um, from what I was told. It was and, pretty good. Uh, and it seemed, it seemed to be, uh, at least at the beginning of the second half, not so bad. It wasn't awful. Uh, Noah, what, did you watch on TV or were you at the game? Uh, TV. So what did you see? Uh, well, my impression was I, I thought that Michigan would have 
more fans in the stands by the time the second half started, and it was closer than I thought. And obviously, the the Maryland student section better turnout, I think, at the start of the game than they had at South Florida. The blackout game is always a popular one, and uh, I was I was pleasantly surprised by the uh, show of people from from Maryland because, as Alex said, Michigan and other Big Ten schools have huge presences here with their alumni. I, well, I've I've gone on about Maryland students and football games before. I'm not doing it again. That spiel's a bit old. Well, we have to we have to talk about the football game, unfortunately. But before we get to the bad stuff, I do want to talk about the good stuff. Maryland's defense, at least for about, I don't know, 35, 37 minutes, was really good and kept a Maryland offense that did not deserve to be anywhere near this game in it. They forced turnovers. They stopped the run. They forced Jake Rudock into some bad decisions. I have to give props to Maryland's defense, Alex, because that was about as inspired of performance as you were going to get, and it felt by the end of it that everybody on Maryland's defense was just saying, we couldn't have done anymore. What more could you have asked from us? Yeah, you know, I think the defense, uh, again, based on Michigan's performance in the first half uh, a week earlier against BYU, which is a pretty good team, um, definitely did show out in the first half, and that was impressive. Um, I would caution that, you know, it was a bit wet, um, and Michigan was playing without Devion Smith, the terrific running back that they have. Um, So you have to take it with a bit of a grain of salt, uh, and at the end of the day, Michigan still wound up on a cold and wet day with, I think, 378 yards of total offense and five yards per carry. So it wasn't, um, I would say, a good performance by Maryland's defense, but Maryland's defense was uh, competent, which is more than can be said for either side of the ball uh, a week before. That was the biggest change, I think. At least one side of the ball, Noah, came out inspired. When Maryland's offense looked like it could do absolutely nothing, Maryland's defense, again, kept them in a game they had no business being in. Well, I think that's true when you look at the halftime score, and and I was quite surprised. And I think there was a quote, I believe it might have been Jalen Brooks, uh, linebacker, in the previous week's loss, uh, I, I almost want to call it more than a loss, to West Virginia, said that he didn't think that there was a single play where all 11 people on the defense were doing the right thing at the same time. I think, obviously, the coaches worked with them, but as Alex noted, Jake Rudock is not exactly the most dynamic passer. In a wet game, this was very much a a one-dimensional Michigan offense, and eventually they broke through. But for, for a half, as you said, 30 to 35 minutes, uh, Maryland was able to contain them and did get pressure on Rudock for a, a very consistent, uh, on a very consistent basis throughout the game. So, yes, I would say that was probably the best part of the game. However, it was nullified because the offense couldn't do anything. I have not seen an offense that inept since maybe my first game at Maryland. I've told the story of 7-6 over William & Mary. That was pretty inept. And I've seen Sean Petty play at quarterback. I mentioned this in our little chat uh, yesterday. I think Sean Petty's offense was better than this Maryland offense. And that is a stunning thing to say that a linebacker well, is Sean better than Petty, Sean Petty did have Stephon Diggs. I know. I, I know. And he had a great game today against Sean, the, uh, Sean against... Petty also ran the triple option in high school. So he would have been probably more suited to the conditions in that game. 
Yeah, Sean Petty was pretty impressive. I mean, you know, obviously you're not going to actually win any games against power conferences with a linebacker at quarterback, but uh, I, I think that he comported himself very well uh, for those four games that he had to play. Okay. Well, let's get on to what actually occurred on this day. <laughs> Uh, if we have we have to unfortunately I know there are a bunch of people saying don't talk about it we don't want to remember it yes we have to bring it up it's it's part of our contractual obligation where where does Maryland go from here because I just don't think there's anywhere you can go but Alex I'll ask you because I know this was asked in the press conference where do they go um you know in all likelihood probably to two and eight and then maybe the three three or four wins overall maybe um, or maybe not. Um, it's really hard just because of the way that the schedule lines up uh, and the matchups that Maryland is presented with. Um, obviously, Ohio State, um, you can't really evaluate that one in terms of, of winning or losing. Um, same for Wisconsin and Michigan State. Um, between those games, uh, there is Penn State coming to Baltimore and Maryland going to Iowa. Iowa looks to be a lot better than we thought. Uh, Penn State too. There could be a win between Penn State and Iowa, but I wouldn't. I wouldn't bank on it. Um, so it it could be uh, an ugly number uh, in a couple of weeks here. Noah, specifically with the quarterbacks, we know what Perry Hills gives. We saw that in the first couple of games. We know what Caleb Rowe gives, despite him saying he wants to cut down on the mistakes. He leads FBS in interceptions. It's clear that's not going to happen. And Dax Garman, to be kind to him, looked like a deer in the headlights. He didn't get a lot of blocking, but he also took way more sacks than Perry Hills or Caleb Rowe did combined. What, what do you think Randy Edsel could do from here? Because we were talking pre-pod, and we kind of surmised, I don't think he knows what he, where Maryland can go. Well, I, I think you've both touched on two very important things. One is that there's not a lot of room to go further down. I don't know where rock bottom is, but I, I surmise... Losing to Rutgers is rock bottom. It, it can't be far. I think right now Rutgers looks like the only W that, that is left to be found on the schedule. Uh, as far as the quarterbacks, I think Perry Hills or Dax Garman are far more palatable options because they're less prone to turnovers. If you can somehow manage... To, to find points uh, with either one of those two quarterbacks, I, I think you have to go ahead and start them. Is it too late to get Shane Cockerell to, uh, to come out of being a fullback? Yes, yes it is. I, I heard people, I, I even surmised, is it Will Ulmer time? I don't know if that's a serious comment is, or not. It but, is not a serious comment. Okay, just had to check. Yeah. So, Alex, if you're Randy Edsel, I don't want to put you into that position, but I have to, unfortunately. Who are you deciding to start against Ohio State, knowing you're probably going to lose by 50 no matter who you start? Even though Ohio State hasn't been very good this year and only beat Indiana on a last-second pass deflection. Yeah, I would start Caleb Rowe again, and I know that it's tough given the outrageous interceptions pace that he's on. Um, but like you said, Maryland is, is coming into this with not a whole lot to lose. Um, and it is, for me, pretty inconceivable that the offense couldn't move enough to score enough to beat Ohio State uh, with anybody other than Caleb Rowe. Um, now, is this going to result in that actually working? Um, almost certainly not. Um, and that's that's tough. Um, there could be four or six Maryland interceptions thrown. It's not at all out of the realm of possibility. Um, but what you bring with Caleb Rowe uh, is at least the chance that some guys are going to get free, some passes are going to be completed, 
Um, and if about 40 other things fall into place, then you might have a chance. Um, like, I, don't, I don't see it happening with either of the other options. Well, if you were going to present an argument to start Dax Garmin, what would it be? Because we've had a couple of questions of people asking, is it Dax's turn finally? And to my eyes, very untrained eyes, based on what I saw in the time he played against Michigan, no. I think, um, you, give him, I think you give him the start, but I think that's, that's because I am of the persuasion that you don't put a guy out there who's going to beat yourself. And right now, I don't think that Caleb Rowe is in a place where his confidence will allow him to stretch the defense against Ohio State. That's, that's, a, that's a defense that could easily take one or two or three back for six. And I think Garmin is probably in the position where he's not as conservative as Perry Hills, and he's not as aggressive as Caleb Rowe. I think he's the middle ground. And while he's not the most potent off like option, on offense, I would say he's safer than Caleb Rowe. But I'll present this to you, Alex. Is it better to have Caleb Rowe say, get a five-play drive in and throw an interception, or is it better to have Dax Garman, who doesn't throw interceptions, but takes sacks and drives her over after three plays, and they're all three and outs? Well, I wouldn't say that Dax Garman doesn't throw interceptions. I don't think that well, it's an option where you're— fewer inter- right. He throws fewer interceptions than Caleb Rowe. Sure. I think that at the end of the day, a turnover is the worst point-valued play uh, that a football team can can have happen. So anything that is the alternative to that is going to be preferable. Um, but the I actually think Noah makes a really compelling point um, about Dax Garman being the middle ground. Uh, the middle ground is not going to keep Maryland within even three touchdowns of Ohio State. Um even if Caleb Rowe has the best game of his life, Maryland is probably still going to lose by multiple scores. But uh, I think for things to be in a position where they could, you know, if all of these things happen, lead to Maryland competing, I think it's got to be the guy who can stretch the field. Um, and Caleb Rowe can, uh, can stretch the field, even if it's, you know, not always the right guy catching the ball. Noah, but we've seen... Now, I'm not seriously suggesting that Maryland can beat Ohio State. I know people who did last year, me being one of them, and that ended very well, didn't it? Uh, But Ohio State has not been impressive this season. Now, this has been because they insist on throwing the ball instead of just giving it to Ezekiel Elliott on every play. Uh, But is there a scenario in which you can envision Maryland is competitive with them for much longer than expected, a la, say, Northern Illinois? Not really. Not really, and it's it's sad to to say, but there would be so many things would have to go right for that to happen. And Ohio State at this point in the season is very close to figuring out who they are and who they want to be in terms of their identity. They didn't really figure it out until really the second half against Indiana. I think they're going to establish that run game from the start, and they're not really going to let Maryland have a chance to stick around in this game. And I think like Michigan, they have figured out what works for them. It's going to be defense and running the ball with one of the best running backs in the game and letting Joey Bosa and the defense really pin their ears back and get off to the quarterback. Alex, do you think that's conceivable? Because Ohio State's defense didn't play that well against Nate Sudfeld or Xander Diamant. 
I still think Ohio State's defense is going to do just fine against Maryland. Well, well, that, well, that too. I'm saying that if can Maryland's defense keep it within a much more mm, decent mm. margin? Um, probably not. No, um, Maryland does not have the horses to play with Ohio State's offense if Ohio State's offense is even remotely ticking. Um, you know, no matter who's playing at quarterback, and it'll it'll be Cardell Jones to start. Uh, the Ohio State offense has four really good skill position receiving and running options, um, five or six or seven guys who would each be either the best or second best that Maryland has, um, a great offensive line with no fewer than two or three um, clear-cut NFL players, and uh, I, I just don't see it. I don't really see that there's a way that unless a lot of things happen, like a lot of things, and not just things going right, but things going better than right, um, like Maryland getting like six turnovers, and I mean, I, I'm serious. I mean, it, it would it would have to, it would take a lot um, for an upset of that magnitude to happen. And I, I'm one of the people who thinks Ohio State, as you've alluded to, is not the best team in the country. I don't think they're as good as the human generated polls would would have you believe. Uh, but there's still a pretty wide gulf here. I, I, there's a lot of people who don't believe. I don't think there's any great team in college football right now. But this isn't a general college football podcast. This is a Maryland podcast. So before we get to some listener questions and reader questions what would be a moral victory from this game because maryland is in the business now of moral victories let's be honest yeah so I'd what say, would be a moral victory alex i'd say stay within the spread i think 28 points four touchdowns is is about right although i thought it could have been a little bit more um if maryland stays within four touchdowns then i don't think anyone can say that maryland didn't put out a good effort um just because the talent deficit here is is so utterly enormous that you can't really fault Maryland's players for anything, if, especially if they keep the game um, even remotely manageable. Noah? Uh, I would say score 20 points. I think if, if the offense, <laughs> if the offense can manage two scoring drives, and I'm assuming that one of them will be in garbage time, uh, if the offense can manage two touchdown drives and a couple of field goals from Craddock, I think that would be the moral victory. Now, granted, I still think that they are going to fall outside of the spread. I think Ohio State is still going to beat them by, by yeah. more than four touchdowns. That's just because I think that if, if Maryland wasn't ready to play in West Virginia, they are not going to know how to handle the shoe on homecoming day. Yeah. True. Yeah. Good, good comment. I have to ask a quick one before we get to questions. Uh, Maryland or Texas, who's in a worse position? Maryland, absolutely. Okay. Yeah. So. I would say Texas. But is really? it rel- uh, is it relative, Alex? That's the question I have. Because well, I mean, the size and yeah. scale of Texas is so different to Maryland. Well, the way that just it's, a fees- it's just a question. I think that the way that it's structured, even even if you're making things relative, um, it's hard to overlook that Texas has infinite resources at its disposal. Maryland does not have infinite resources at its disposal. Yes. Um, and uh, and that's that's really the operative difference there. Noah, why do you think Texas is in the worst position? Just curious. Oh, well, I would say, you know, if, if the Baltimore Orioles Twitter account said, fire Randy, <laughs> bye, then I, then I think we might be talking about Maryland here. I think, it, I think Alex, as, as Alex pointed out, it's because Texas has such unlimited resources. It's because they went out and they made this big hire in Charlie Strong. It's because Charlie Strong was supposed to turn around this program that had lost a little bit of luster with Matt Brown, and they come out and they lose in these 
absolutely gut-wrenching scenarios. But you see, Maryland doesn't even get that close. Like, Maryland would love to lose a game on a missed extra point. That's that's true, but I think the manner in which this this proud program is losing to schools like TCU and other schools, I mean, they are now, I think, possibly the fourth or fifth best team in that state. Uh, I think at, from from the school that used to be the A and M, TCU, and Baylor are certainly certainly all better. A and M is so I think it, Texas is now a, a national laughing stock, and that's that's not a Maryland is used to being there. Texas is not. Maryland is Maryland's best moments have been flashes in the pan. Texas is a consistent national power, or at least they think they are. The perception of Maryland football is very different than the perception. And, of and Texas, Texas football. really does not have a loss to a bad team. That's uh, true. No. You know, That's Texas true. lost by 35 to Notre Dame. Um, they beat well, Rice. They lost on the extra point to Cal, which has the best quarterback prospect in the country. True. Uh, and is ranked. Oklahoma State, which is ranked. I think they've lost to four ranked teams. Um, and, and two of those have been blowouts. But Maryland has been, you know, every FBS team Maryland has played that is not South Florida has done very well against it. Um, so I, I just think Texas, if Texas played Maryland's schedule, uh, Texas would probably be three and two or four and one. Um, I, I just think there's a huge difference between where they are, and it's it's hard to make it relative because Texas has so much more. Um, but I don't, I don't know. I think that um, pretty much uh, on, on any given metric, other than, as Noah mentioned, if you want to look at it from kind of a, a justice standpoint for a team having that much money, I think Texas is much better off. Oh, uh, okay. Just asking because the teams are playing each other in two years. So. They are? It, it's, it's a worthwhile Next thing year. to mention. Next year they're playing. No, they're not. No, oh, you Howard, Howard, FIU, and UCF next year. Hmm. Boy, we're getting out at the right time, aren't we, Alex? Must be, must be. <laughs> okay, so time for some listener questions. First, Skipjack, uh, what did we do to deserve this? Skipjack, I'm not on your show. That's what we did to deserve this. So if I'm on your show, maybe things are going to change for Maryland. Just a little hint there, my friend. Uh, anyway, serious questions. Uh, Ramblin' Rubes on Twitter asks, well, he said, how did Randy Edsel ever get hired? He won the Fiesta, he went to the Fiesta Bowl with UConn. That's pretty good. Look, Randy, no, that's Edsel, how he... Randy Edsel has a track record of being a perfectly solid college football coach. Um, now, he has obviously struggled a lot at Maryland, and he struggled in sort of ugly fashion against any good team. Um, but let's, let's not pretend that Randy Edsel didn't have the resume to get Maryland's job uh, because, you know, hindsight, hindsight can be very 2020. Uh, but I, I really do think that that should be noted, was that this wasn't some completely out-of-left-field, outrageous idea when it happened. No, I, I completely agree with that. And so he also asked, what are odds we get good one next? Now, good one could be a lot of things. That could be Frank Reich if he doesn't get an NFL job. That could be Matt Rule if somebody, if Rutgers doesn't offer him the job and he wants to stay close and it, to And it could be nobody for another three to ten years. I mean, It, it could. It really, I think that... Uh, I think it's a little bit foregone to assume that no matter what Maryland does this year, now, I do think that two and ten would probably probably get the job done. I, um, but I think Maryland three and nine fire, would get the job done too. For Maryland to fire Randy Edsel would be an admission of a couple of things on the part of Kevin Anderson. It would be an admission of really a lost half decade and and millions of dollars, and that is not um, something that I think any athletic director is really eager to do if he doesn't absolutely have to. And, and I think that people kind of forget that human element of these things. Um, but it's tough. It's tough because you're dealing with people who have both hearts and minds. And I think, I think it's a little bit early uh, to say that that's definitely where this is going. Noah, though, we have to admit 
even with hearts and minds, if Maryland, let's say, loses every game up until Indiana by double digits and they're 2-8, and eight, whether they have a chance to beat Indiana and Rutgers or not, would, at that point, can you even salvage something out of this season? And could you salvage it? Can Randy Edsel salvage his job beating Indiana and Rutgers, who is arguably in a worse position than Maryland is? Uh, I am of the belief that I think four, four wins should keep should keep him here. Uh, I think two or three, and it gets really tricky because you're looking at taking a big step in the wrong direction, uh, even with Dwayne Haskins coming in next year, which could potentially be the salvation if, if, you're, if you're most Maryland fans. I, I would like to, to add to what Alex said. Randy Etzel was a very consistent college football coach at UConn. My problem when Maryland brought him on was that his best team was 8-5 and five and played in a, in a very weak conference and ended up getting really beaten down by a very physical Oklahoma team in that Fiesta Bowl. And so in baseball... As, as well as other sports, sometimes there are coaches that you will bring on to groom a young team and get a young team competitive, and then you bring on another coach to take that group of competitive players and then compete for championships. I think that Randy Edsel is the transitional coach. I think he is there to establish the right kind of culture and accountability uh, in a program, and I think that's what they intended to do. But I, I never think that, I do not believe that he was intended to be the coach that eventually led this program to perennial top 25 status. Okay. It's reasonable. It's worth asking and considering the money that's being invested into the program in the next couple of years, which is true. There is something worth arguing for there. And we've mentioned, I know I've referenced this podcast a couple of times, but Alex and Pete and I went on a rant talking about possible coaching candidates and how reasonable they are for Maryland. If you want to listen to it, I think it's post-USF game if you're interested. So, uh, Eric Young asks, how, can Haskins join the team now? He can't, but this does bring me on to a question I have right now. Now, I'm not sure of the depth chart. I think Caleb Rowe has one more year of eligibility left. Uh, Dax Garman's obviously a graduate transfer, but I think Rowe and Hills have another year of eligibility left each. Is that correct, Alex? Uh, that is correct. Okay. So Dwayne Haskins is going to come in next season as a true freshman. He has said he is not changing his mind on his commitment. So that's one of the blue chippers that is not going to change. Uh, so let's just say, I know we're looking forward, but we have to because looking ahead to next week is kind of futile at this point. It's a Rowe Hills... Haskins battle in camp next season, assuming Randy Edsel stays on as coach. Who wins that quarterback battle? Uh, I think probably Dwayne Haskins wins the quarterback battle. Uh, I, I, I was yeah. thinking the same thing sitting in the stands. I, I just, I think, I know you don't want to start true freshman at quarterback in college football, unless you're Josh Rosen, who is an exceptional case. But Maryland almost next year is going to have no choice unless there's some graduate transfer that swoops in and saves the day, which I doubt's going to happen. I think there's less and less fear, Matt, to go with true freshman quarterbacks, especially with the kind of the increase and proliferation of these seven-on-seven passing camps and all of the elite camps and the, the private coaching and tutoring that a lot of these 
young quarterbacks get, and they get them into school early. Uh, I really think that that schools are not as afraid to go with a true freshman right now because I think that the learning curve has actually gotten a little bit shorter, and kids are acclimating to that pressure faster. Alex, you agree with that? Um, I think, yeah. I think Noah makes a really good point that the way that quarterbacks are prepared uh, in this day and age makes it so that they aren't quite as uh, as foreign to it as they might have been even five or ten years ago. And uh, at the end of the day, talent plays. More than that, I think that uh, it's pretty unlikely that Dwayne Haskins would be thrilled about it if he decided after all of this to you know, still come to Maryland, um, see this happen this season, and then come in next year and not get a chance to make it right. I don't think that would thrill Dwayne Haskins, and I think he probably has more power than uh, – than most might let on. And I'll say this about Maryland's schedule next year, if you haven't looked at it. It's easier than this year's, whatever easier Mm -hmm. means. UCF is a dumpster fire. FIU is, well, is FIU in CUSA or the Sun Belt? I don't actually remember. uh, FIU is in CUSA. Okay, that's what I thought. Howard is Howard. And then then now that they're playing nine conference games, their Big Ten West opponents are Purdue, which is on a level with Maryland right now in terms of terribleness. Minnesota and Nebraska. Yeah, I mean, Just, skipping I Iowa, mean, Wisconsin, and, you know, Nebraska's probably better than... Skipping than Iowa, Wisconsin, and Northwestern. Yeah, yeah, I mean, then again, Maryland hasn't played Northwestern yet. Um, no, but the, that's what they have next year. Yeah. It's, it is, I know we're looking ahead, and regardless of the coach, and I know this is kind of a stupid thing to talk about when you still have seven games to play in this season, but, I mean, looking ahead just on paper and even in a very rudimentary sense it can only go up from here right yeah i think so i don't i don't think maryland's ever going to do worse than two and ten uh, that'd be pretty pretty surprising um oh. so yeah I, I think it can probably only only go up all right one final question and we should get to it here jeff uh b green 484 on twitter asks us will terps basketball win a game this year by more points than the terps are going to lose to ohio state on sunday so Will Maryland basketball win by more than, let's say, 35 or 40? Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. No? Yeah. Yeah. I, I would, I would I think, probably also venture a guess to say yes. I think the really interesting question is is which program loses more games, and I think it's pretty clear at this point. It's going to be football. That, that will be football, yeah. It's football's going to lose more games this year than basketball lost last year. Yeah, what it, basketball lost, what, seven? Six. Seven, well, seven, seven if you times. count the tournament, so seven. I do, you do, do count it, yeah. So um, that would be what? So seven yeah, losses, man. and this year the best that they can do is probably four and eight. So you know, but yeah. think about it. I had a, a friend actually text me the other day, and he said, "You know, you're fortunate that you're you're at a place where you can watch teams who um, are at least compelling either way, and you know, y- you might have a team uh, that could win a championship, and at least in the revenue sports." Uh, my friend goes to Michigan. He says, "You know." What we have here is, is a situation where teams are going to be good but not really compete for anything. Um, you know, this, this has a chance to be a fun year for Maryland fans, I think, given uh, just the, the sheer upside of the other thing. But it, it begs a question, and maybe it's not perfect to ask it now because we're running a bit low on time, but would you want to be the good but not great or we're putting all our eggs in the national championship basket and if we don't get it, uh-oh? Well, that's a tough – I mean, that might be a bit of a false choice. Um, but if you actually think about what brings enjoyment in sports, um, I would rather be consistently good um, than, you know, every now and again having a great year and, and not just being that. Um, it's more fun to, 
as a fan um, get to experience competitiveness over and over. Um, you know, from from a writing standpoint, it's it's kind of interesting, I think, to have these all or nothing stories. Um, but if I were if I were just watching games all the time and, and need to pick something, I would rather have a consistently high quality of play. I think. You're a Pirates fan. You would probably understand that now that they're suddenly good. Uh-huh, yeah. The, the, the reason why we're not recording this any later is because if we did, then Al, we would have to do this on Wednesday night, and Alex would not be very interested in recording a podcast then, I have a feeling. No, I'll be, I'll be passing off the horns, the reins that night. <laughs> no, I don't know what teams you root for, but I, I assume you root for a team that's probably been consistently bad at some point. Uh, many of them, actually, yes. Uh, I... As long as that consistency results in a chance to win a championship, I would say, for instance, the Atlanta Braves, where I grew up when they were going through uh, their record streak of of division titles, uh, I don't think any Braves fan would say we wouldn't want that. However, I think if you ask them, would they have loved to have won more than one World Series during that incredible span, of course, I think they probably would have given up many of those division titles to make that happen. Just it was a question. How about you tell us in the comments what you'd rather be good but not great with some chance to win or something else? Maybe it's it's worth discussing. And maybe we'll get to it next week because Maryland has a foot Maryland football has a bye week. Thank the Lord. Matt, let so, me let me uh, let me just add this. Uh, one of the, the things that I do, uh, my job is I'm associate producer for the MLB network. And one of the people that I work with is Jim Bowden, who was a former general manager of, of the Nationals, but also the Cincinnati Reds. He says that there's nothing more exciting as a team, as a member of a front office, than knowing that you have a chance to win a championship. And it's different, obviously, in professional sports where you have free agency and different things like that. But to answer that question, I think, as a fan, knowing that you have a chance to win a national championship, as Maryland's fans do for men's basketball right now, I think is one of the most exciting things that that they could possibly have. And to be a, a, a team that makes the tournament every year and loses in the Sweet 16 to say a good consistent team, they would say no. I think they would say we want a team that has a shot to cut down the nets in in early April. That's a good point. Well, we'll have you guys tell us in the comments what you think. Thank you both to Noah. Your podcast Maiden Voyage, how did you think it went? Oh, loved it. Absolutely loved it. Good. That's good <laughs> to hear. How about you, Alex? You know, it's, it's always a terrific time. It's been a while, but now you're going to be back because there are no more LSATs to, uh, to deal with. No more standardized tests to get into law school, I think. Uh, supposedly. supposedly. Supposedly? Anyway, okay. my mom's calling. I got to take it. You guys have a great day. Goodbye to you. I will talk to you guys soon. We will be back next week. And for now, go Turks. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.